0: Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman. My guest today wrote the book. Uh, That is the reason that I am currently sort of shaking in my seat, vibrating at a skin level. Um, I've been reading Brian Washington's uh, work in the New Yorker and other places for a while, and he I don't know of any other sort of contemporary fiction writer who um, del- who uses food in such an intimate and thoughtful way as Brian does. Uh, he's got a- an absolutely devastating new novel called Memorial. And um, Brian, thank you for coming to talk about it.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Cap. Oh my gosh, yeah. This
0: is- <laughs> can you tell me where you're sitting right now, just so we can settle.
1: Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm in Houston right now, staring at my puppy. Been you know quarantining in Houston since uh, Uh, early February or so.
0: Who's this puppy?
1: (laughs)
2: Tell us about Uh, the puppy.
1: Oh yeah, she's about uh, ten months old now. So she's you know Shiba Inu puppy, and she's just very 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 polite around everyone else but me. But she's been she's been very lovely to you know spend spend this nice quarantine (laughs) with.
0: I feel like there are sort of so many pandemic puppies out there, and I have, a, I I have a ten-year-old dog and a three and a half-year-old dog, and I don't oh, know what wow. I would be doing without them right now in this incredibly strange time. Your book is uh, how many weeks old at this point? I mean, it's old to you, but how many
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like it, it feels a little bit like you know three years at this point, but I, I right. suppose it's been about three weeks at this point. Yeah, just a, a day over.
0: It's uh, it, it's such a strange thing. We were sort of touched on this right before we, we started recording. So my book came out a week after the 2016 election. So I know sort of what it's like to have a book come out during a really, uh, really strange time in, in the culture. And uh, your book is getting such tremendous accolades. And I mean, am I correct in thinking the president knows who you are? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i think that i think that our last uh, president is like at least emotionally aware of lot not of me okay a, so yeah. like
0: i i said our president meaning like the one who i want to think about <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was like i don't know like please don't know, yeah. But, you know yeah, but yeah yeah it was uh it was really lovely getting to see um the way that uh both memorial and also lot traveled and particularly now right in the midst so much change and so much upheaval and a lot of distress for, you know, infrastructural reasons, for a myriad of personal reasons, from person to person, the fact that folks are taking time with stories, like generally, let alone, you know, memorial is really heartening.
0: It's, uh, might get a little emotional here. It is, um, it's the only book that I have managed to read since the beginning of the pandemic, just because I haven't been able to concentrate on, on anything. I do a lot of reading, but I haven't been able to read books, but I, I wanted, I knew I wanted yours because I just needed your words in my head. And it's, uh, and you know, I, I've lost my mother to COVID um during this so it's just this sort of extra extra punch in it. If we can set the scene of what the the book is about. I'm sure you've sort of elevator pitched this book so many times but I want to hear in your words just so people who haven't uh, read the book yet sort of know the basics of it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so the, the elevator pitch really depends on who I'm talking to like at some point in you know, like the recent past, like a year ago, I called it a queer slacker dramedy and 82 people like looked up and said, okay, like that's interesting. So like I've been (laughs) repeating that. Uh, My editor has called it like a rom-com with teeth, which I quite like, but I've taken to thinking of it as a book about a group of people trying to figure out what it means to be okay as a person within a collective and also just okay with themselves and the many different forms that connection and love can look like and take.
0: Yeah, it's it's really to me so much of it is about finding what home is, and uh, there there were a few things in the in the book that were like sort of really stood out to me when people had this like I always think of it as a moment when like you know the teacup has been askew on the saucer for for a long time and you're just used to it being that way, but all of a sudden it gets locked into place like it slips and hits the ring, and all of a sudden you're like oh wait that's where the teacup's supposed Mm. to be and there were there was this moment when um to you know sort of to set the scene there's a, a couple and uh, one has uh, gone off to be with his his dying father at the same time that his mother is a- arriving in the company and he leaves his mother with his boyfriend <laughs> and in, in in their place and <laughs>
1: Uh, Suboptimal situation.
0: It's it's not great. I got to say not not great. But and, and they start to get to know each other. The the sort of boyfriend um, back home, Ben, and and the mother, and. Uh, his and and Mike, uh, the the fellow who who is going off to take care of his dad is a chef, and he's very precise about his kitchen. His mom comes in there and messes the whole kitchen up. But it's the first time uh. that Ben feels comfortable in the kitchen, and it took somebody else coming in and messing th- things up to make it right. And I, I don't know that, that moment just really, really um, hit me. Like it's it's the ownership of this kitchen space. And it's, I don't know. Can you talk about that moment in there?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what really felt important to me in the drafting of it and in seeing it, you know, having a little bit of distance from having finished it is trying to write a narrative in which many different things could be true Mm -hmm. simultaneously, you know? Yeah. I wanted it to be a narrative in which a character like Mike, who is one half of the central Queer couple, and you know, Mike is this queer cis guy, Japanese American, living in Houston's Third Ward, which is one of the oldest historically Black neighborhoods in the country, and who thinks of himself as being a product of that neighborhood in a lot of ways, and mm-hmm. is a product of that neighborhood. It's very in welcoming to him. A voice. Yeah, yeah. I wanted it to be a narrative in which that could be true, right? And he could think of the Third Ward as home, and have a novel in which he reconciliates that with what other folks might think of as being his home-home, Osaka, which Mm -hmm. is where he returns. And I also have a narrative in which Benson, who is the other half of this central couple, a queer, Black cis dude, finds the closest iteration of home that he's ever been privy to Mm -hmm. in this older Japanese woman who teaches him how to cook, Mike's mom. and the idea of cooking felt really important to me within the narrative
2: mm-hmm.
1: john birdsall who is actually like someone that i would not have written this book without having read his work and that i'm just like generally a big fan uh, who is himself like a queer food writer read a really early like copy. Uh, but he, he's he's amazing he's amazing like he wrote a really early copy of the book and he called it sneakily a book about to young men who fall in love with Japanese food. <laughs> and that is Yeah, that's a reading that like hold so dear because the idea of a book about connection and a book about communication
2: mm-hmm.
1: for me at least also meant a book about the lack thereof. Yes. And the difficulty of connecting and the difficulty of communication. I didn't want it to be a text where it was, you know, debatable or not that it might had love for one another or whether or not they wanted to connect like i wanted it to be a book in which folks were approaching one another from a place of love and connection because that's generally what i'm taking toward reading but the question of it came in the how yeah and when words fail them they turn to Cooking Just cooking and, and giving one another comfort. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. That's the other side of it, right? Like, like cooking. Well, <laughs> sort, of, sort, of, sort of a, too, you know, lingual practice. But um, I mean, the,
0: the pattern throughout that I saw was like they, you know, both of the characters, no matter if they were which, with each other or or with another man, they would sort of uh they, they would not talk about things and sort of like instead have sex and like not talk about things but then there was the aftercare meal that and is mostly omelets uh there's i forget which one of the characters had stayed oh, i think it was mike had stayed over with with somebody and he was thinking like i should make him you know something in the morning and the like, guy only had like chocolate bars in his house
1: oh uh, yeah like a power bar and yeah step.
0: and that speaks to like a lack of care <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, like, really really trying to play with the many different ways in which one could find care, like, just as you said, and how, what care means, and what happens when care changes forms, or when the care that you need, or the way that you can see the comfort or pleasure changes forms, and Mike's mom, Mitsuko, like, she felt, to me, like, from the very outset of, like, drafting the novel, like, the emotional center of Mm it, and, like, the heart of it, and she's the one character in the text who is constantly providing care and comfort yeah. to those around her, irrespective of whether they recognize mm-hmm. it as comfort and care. Because just from you know the general outset, uh, she is a woman who is flying from Japan to Houston, which is a city that. She had a less than great goal of the last time she was there to see her son, who immediately tells her, I'm leaving and I don't know when I'm going to be back to visit my strange father and also I'm leaving you with my maybe partner in this neighborhood that you spent no time in whatsoever, (laughs) which is a, I think a euphemism would be a tricky situation, like definitely less than ideal. And the first thing that she does is she cooks a meal for her and Ben. Mm And she creates a place of comfort and a place of solace from which to start their interaction. And she constantly does that. So really trying to figure out the different ways that cooking can create connection or it can make connections that are already there more concrete or how those connections can change form. And also what happens when those Connections or misconnections uh, through the kitchen was really important I mean, they
0: leave food for each other. There are so many moments in here, in this book of people leaving food for one another, bringing food for one another. And it doesn't have to be fancy. You know, one character meets an, another one and he has some fast food in the car waiting for him. And he was, you know, he himself was saying like, oh, I couldn't wait to eat. But he, I think he also brought some for him too. It's, And these are characters who maybe weren't always taught that it was safe to um express their feelings through words and instead do it a lot through gesture in a way that is really um kind and caring in these in these really small ways and You know, I think so many of us go through life that way. Like, we don't know what to say. So we, you know, sometimes fuck it out, sometimes feed it out, you know, (laughs) and but those are still saying something in a way that's really interesting to me.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly it. Like trying to work through and think through the many different ways that folks come together and the ways that folks feel they need to and what happens when someone that you hold dear or someone who is becoming someone that you hold dear or perhaps they're in that transitory period in a relationship, like their needs change and their wants change and you have to adjust yourself so that you can fit those.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, you talk a lot about sort of different versions of people and there's, there's a particular uh, sort of bit in there where, um, you know, uh, it's Ben is like sort of confronting the notion of himself, like sort of how he had been in this suburban upbringing and talking about like, you're, you know, you have to deal with the past versions of yourself and it's sort of frozen, <laughs> so especially you talk about like how, how suburbs are unique in that yeah. <laughs> I mean, I came from uh I grew up in a suburban Kentucky and when I it's rare that I go back there, but when I do, it's like some, some part of me just freezes. It's right there. It's just right back to this super uncomfortable, like teen you know, life that I had there. And it, it's like uh and my body just kind of shuts down <laughs> during this. And I got this sense reading this, do you have suburban experience? <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, no, like very, very, very same. Like for a long period of time, like I lived in a suburb just outside of Houston and, you know, my parents actually moved away from there in the recent past, but before they moved, I was there like pretty often, like once or twice a week or so, you see the different versions of yourself that have been, right? And it, in a lot of ways, forces you to take stock of the ways in which you've changed one way or another and when that place changes like when home changes it's like as a geographic point i feel like it forces us to really reckon with like what home is and what home can mean like whether it's like a specific person whether it's the place whether it's a group of people or whether it's just like a feeling that you can take with you or you can have multiple homes perhaps or home can take a form or a form that you maybe be worth expecting.
0: Yeah. And it, and it can also be a place that you have a tie to that you've never been to. So, uh, so when Mike goes to Japan, he goes to, you know, take care of his father who is dying from cancer. This is not a spoiler. It's sort of right there up front. And, uh, but his, he, you know, starts to work alongside his father in this, this bar that is sort of, by rights, his, and it sort of becomes his in a weird way, and and he finds his place. uh Sorry, my radiator is starting to hiss a little bit. If folks are oh. listening, this is this is winter in New York, folks. Um,
1: <laughs> it, it, yeah. The meanwhile, like we just hit like a high fifties, so I'm like very excited, but also like, uh. I don't want it to get any lower down here in Houston. So.
0: Oh my gosh, is it is it like grilling weather there?
1: You know, I feel like every season is grilling weather in Texas to some extent. Like and I don't know, I grill in the snow in New York, personally. But... Oh, yeah, yeah. People, are, yeah, we just just need one excuse to to, to fire from like, grill in any capacity, but yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry for that aside, but it was just, I just feel like at some point I might need to move my circumstance right here. We're all doing our best from home. It's, yeah, you know,
1: we do. we're doing the best that we can.
0: We're, we're trying. It's a new reality we're living in. Um, But it's it's interesting. So Mike goes to uh, Japan where he really hasn't spent time. And he goes to see his father who he has not seen in 15 years or or so and has to find kind of home and family with this, this guy who it's, you know, it's been a complex relationship and in this spot of hospitality. And it's really interesting to see like how his dad has, you know, crafted a world around him that is based in drink and food and bring and drawing people to him in this particular space. Um, But still sort of like holding his son at arm's length. It's, you know, and, but he, you know, that's such an interesting thing because that's another version of family and home and it happens to be a bar.
1: Yeah, what was really important to me was playing with the idea of both family and also like blood family and also found family, mm-hmm. which I think is, yeah. you know, is also family and trying to tell the narrative in which the ways that characters conceived of their respective families, whether blood or not, wasn't prescriptive. Right, like mm-hmm. a story that wasn't yeah. saying that this iteration of family that then has, let's say, with his sister Lydia and when, with his mom and with his father who are separated is a true iteration of family, than the iteration of family of Ben and Mike who are partners, or the iteration mm-hmm. of Mike's father issue with the bar goers, right? Trying mm-hmm. to conceive of a narrative in which. All of these families are valid, and all of these families have their attendant concerns, they have their growth, they have the ways in which they connect with one another. And trying to approach them for what they are and how the characters conceive of them, but also allowing them to change was really important. Because what was just as important to me, and something that became like more important to me, like in the midst of writing the book, was playing with the question of the creases in familial relationships right like at what point mike stops looking at his father as like this sort of archetype of you know an estranged father and as a person who made the decisions that they made with those attendant reasons and catalysts and consequences and also, for him to look at his mother with the same eyes and for Ben conversely, to turn toward his family with all of his respective experiences and to look at them as people in lieu of as placeholders for like whatever role that he may have conceived of a sister having or conceived of a father having or conceived of a mother having so really trying to examine the different layers that people have, and to approach them on the page as people in lieu of, I don't know, just just like ideas of people, right? Like ideas of how a person should be. It's right? like really allowing the characters to entangle what they mean to each other and who they are while also allowing Both of those ideas, to change over the course of the book was important to me because that felt truer to life than a narrative in which, you know, like a relationship is static, right? Or like the family members are operating in binaries with one another, or perhaps they don't have the attendant language that one prefers, so they cast one another off. Like having a story in which each of the characters was approaching one another from a place of wanting to comfort those around them and wanting to give them warmth and wanting to be, like, a part of their lives, regardless of whether or not they're able to, like, actually articulate that, or (laughs) whether, you know, it is perhaps, like, a very long road to get to the point where they're able to do that. Uh, it, It was just very much the book that I wanted to read, like, a narrative that allowed the benefit of the doubt and allow them the space uh, to grow and change.
0: I mean, there's a lot in there of sort of having moments of having to parent uh, your parent. And that is, you know, a a humbling moment in a relationship. And some of it has to do with, you know, illness, human frailty, whatever it happens to be. And it takes a generosity of spirit on both sides for that to be able to happen. And but yeah, I, I feel like you know, we, we get caught up in these narratives, like, especially sort of with our blood families of like, well, you're the X one, you're the whatever you always do, you know, et cetera. And uh, it it takes willingness uh, to, to be able to accept that, that change and reframe things. And you've done that in in such a really gorgeous way. And, you know, and some of it is brought about by, you know, mortality that, you know, yeah. yeah. That we're all facing, and uh, you know, and I think as I think, you know, as difficult a time as it is to have a book come out right now, like this is the book that needs, you know, to to happen right now. Is I think a lot of people are, you know, looking at these really dire circumstances that we're all living in, you know, right right now. Um, you know, to see the possibility of evolution is really a you know a tremendous and beautiful thing, and but I love the fact that you're, that, you know, you've done this in blood family and in chosen family too. Cause you know, I I think so much about it, you know, chosen family. And especially I always do at this, um, you know, at this time of year with Thanksgiving, um, because I've in my adult life always had Thanksgiving with, uh, with chosen family. It was sort of like brought in as a stray to a Thanksgiving in, um, in the mid nineties. And, uh, my friends, John and Eric, who had been together for a thousand years, brought me to Thanksgiving at their friend, Mama Diva's house. And, uh, I think I had Thanksgiving with them for like 15 years, um, before Mama Diva died. And it was, uh, that it's this moment for me that like, that is some of the, as you know, love my blood family, obviously, and stuff, but that was family in a, in a different kind of way, very centric around food. And I would carry that glow with me for weeks and weeks and weeks after and i love so much how you have honored uh like these 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 bonds and and the different ways that this can look in all kinds of like micro and macro and i think this again this is a really great time for this to be coming out like before thanksgiving um i want to hear
2: like what your thanksgivings are like
1: i've had very warm thanksgivings you That's know time. which is like a massive privilege right like as a person generally and as like a queer person specifically and that some have been spent with family you know like blood relatives others many as of late have been spent with found family Mm -hmm. right like with friends and friends of friends and acquaintances who've since become friends and more often than not my thanksgivings in my adult life like have been centered around just the gratitude of the day and of the thing. Yeah, like more to be like more more straightforward. Like I I haven't really had too many like Thanksgivings. I've had a lot of like (laughs) Bridesgivings. Yeah, yeah, you know, like it'll be like the Tuesday or Wednesday where we all sort of get together. Um, And, you know, I think that the general vibe has been one that, isn't stuffy, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I think that we've all, you know, my friends and I have gone out of our way to create an environment, whether it is in, you know, somebody's apartment, whether it's like I had uh, a friendsgiving at like a, a K barbecue joint like a few years ago. Mm-hmm. um had a friendsgiving. Um, I think, uh, two. Years ago, that was at this restaurant called Fufu Cafe in Houston, where you know no one could make it in the afternoon, no one could make it in the evening. So we just all got late night Chinese food. at you know Bufu Cafe, and like yeah, yeah, that you know it was like one in the morning, and it was just like a really lovely celebration of um, mm-hmm. each other, and also like gratitude and just the ability to get to spend the time with one. Another, and it's yeah. certainly something that I'm thinking about this year mm-hmm. when all of us are, you know, siloed in our respective revolutions, which right. have become like standstill points and not very much uh, you know, revolutions at all. But one thing that's been heartening um, inside of that is, are the ways in which we are talking through and finding points of connection, yeah. right? whether it's through, you know, Zoom help, like a collective, like Zoom help, like, right. Thanksgiving, like, the shared, you know, the share time, is like, on the screen, or whether it's through dropping desserts off for one another, yeah. or dropping different dishes off for one another. I think the thing that we're sort of, like, working through and trying to schedule and think through now is that each of us is coming up with a dish and planning to portion it off and to drop it off at one another's places and by way of that we'll have like an assemblage of like a thanksgiving dinner a simulacrum of a thanksgiving dinner that's like shared from afar so it's really been heartening by the ways in which folks are finding yeah. those points of connection when they feel like deeply necessary yeah. like they're always necessary but it feels like especially exacerbated this year like at the end of like a very Difficult year for any number of reasons, both personal and infrastructural and macro. And it feels strange yeah. to be talking about like a book like at this time, like like a book. You know, that you, right? like a sort of you know, yeah, yeah, you know, sort of like coming back to like <laughs> like your own experience, like in 2016. But something that's been really, I don't know, it's like really bizarre to think about. Now, but like in the midst of writing memorial, something that was really important to me was to write something that I would not feel worse for having read, right? (laughs) And that I would not feel worse for having written Mm
2: -hmm.
1: purely because that is just the sort of text that I'm drawn to as a reader Mm -hmm. and you know the sort of narrative that I'm drawn to as a member of the audience. And I don't know, it just feels very surreal now. To have that narrative, you know, be released into the world in the midst of like a very turbulent moment. I
0: can I can say this from experience of, of this because it can it can feel like in my head I got wrapped up in like is it small and selfish of me to want to like promote my you know my book while the world's on fire but it's something that you wrote a book that makes the world better i mean uh, flat out like i think more than anything all of us need beauty we need understanding we need uh you know these moments of kindness we need glimpses into other people's lives um and, you know, whether they're, they're fictional or not, and find those, those universal moments where, you know, I, I found so many points of you know, connection uh, reading this, even, you know, and, 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 you know, made me feel, you know, sort of very seen in various ways because you're, you know, you're so, you're so this sounds like a weird thing, but you're so good at the mundane. That it, it, like these, these small details that make a life, a, a life with yourself and a life with another person and it's, you know, it's, it's, it can be incredibly hard to connect. And I think like right now, like, you know, we're, we're searching for all those points of connection and this is all a long winded way of saying like, shout this shit out. You did a beautiful job and it matters. And, and, you know, I, I, and I, w- I want to go back to, you know, something you were saying about how you're, you're trying to figure out with folks about like what Thanksgiving is going to look like and leaving things. Do you feel like, um, and, you know, absolutely, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, um, coming from this from an outside sort of point of view, but the queer community, I feel like, is, like, shows up in a particular way uh, for one another, and that's just sort of endemic to it. Do you feel like that has is sort of been a factor for this year and, and for this holiday, uh, that kind of caretaking?
1: For my specific experience, that has been a factor in most aspects of my life <laughs> for, you know, the you know, live my living memory, you know, whether it is for a holiday, mm-hmm. right, or what's understood to be a holiday or what's been celebrated as a holiday, whether, whether it is a moment in which that personal showing up mm-hmm. is a bit more local or a bit more intimate mm-hmm. right like perhaps you're just not feeling too well yeah. over the course of like a few weeks or over the course of a few days or over the course of a season i think that i don't know a lot of my specific experience in the queer community is born from spending time with folks and having you know the privilege of spending time with folks who also see the need mm-hmm for connection and also see the many different forms that connection can take whether it's having a dinner with someone whether it's going to a bar with someone whether it's giving a phone call or a facetime or sending a letter or sending photos back and forth to one another right like the flexibility of that care that i've experienced and you know amongst my queer friends amongst queer Acquaintance has been so I don't know, just crucial yeah. for me as a person just to be okay and just to sort of feel okay as a person on a week to week basis, let alone, you know, over the course
2: minute of the minute kind of and right in now.
1: particular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like literally like minute to minute. I mean, like thinking through like I don't I don't know what you know my holiday experience would look like if not for you know, the support of queer folks around me, whether folks that I've known for years, whether, like, new friends, whether folks that I know in passing, but we just talk from time to time and that's the connection that feels valid and feels warm and feels right for us. It just feels like a very important thing. I mean, even with Memorial, I mean, I was talking to some friends about this, like, a few weeks ago just prior to the book being released and in a lot of ways like a narrative featuring queer folks mm-hmm. that doesn't feature their marginalization as the crux of the narrative or as a thing to be overcome or a thing that is an obstacle like in this country right now like i don't know that there's like an ideal time for that book to come out <laughs> you know like it it's just you know it's, it's not I, I don't know, like, i I d I don't know if there would be like a perfect time for it to come out and the support that
2: queer folks, whether folks I know or
1: folks I don't know have thrown behind the book, just feels I don't know, that that has been my specific experience in general yeah. among folks within the community, whether like near or far, just like who yeah. show up right? And who show up for one another. And it's just sort of understood. This
0: whole book is about showing up. (laughs) It's moment after moment after moment, whether people sort of know each other all that well or not, they show up in, in these ways that it just you know, it just, uh, granted, I'm, you know, in a super emotional state, um, as of late, you know, trying to navigate grief in isolation. And the way that people, even people who I don't know very well have shown up has meant the world to me. Do you feel like you've had this representation, in contemporary literature before that is not sort of niche literature where this is mainstream you're a big deal new yorker writer oh, <laughs> writing writing did you feel like <laughs> it's amazing it's so great and did you but like you wanted to see this story written this is the story that you wrote did you feel like uh any duty to write this this story to write yourself into existence
1: Duty is an interesting word because I think that for me, what was really important when you know I finally started working on Memorial in earnest and over the three years that it took mm-hmm. to write was taking it out of your notes app <laughs> <laughs> exactly, sort of making the transition from notes to like an actual notebook to like Google Doc and like back to notes and like so on, right? Like all <laughs> just like tapping away at the iPhone, <laughs> um,
2: but yeah, what?
1: I don't know, what felt like so pivotal to me was to write the sort of book that I wanted to read and to write the sort of book that Mm -hmm. I wanted, you know, or I thought that my friends might enjoy, like one that might make them laugh or that might make them feel. And I was Mm -hmm. talking to my editor about this, who, you know, and she's a genius, like uh, as recently as (laughs) April, like I was like deeply convinced that like nine folks would be interested in this particular book and like i would know all of them and you know i was so okay with that because it was the book that i was trying to write you know which feels like a very rare thing like to you know accomplish the thing that you were trying to do in any iteration but at the same time i think that a difficult part of writing memorial was that like i can you know pretty confidently say that there were no direct comps that i had like within you know american Mm
2: -hmm.
1: literary fiction so that made it very difficult to see it out in the world on the page Mm -hmm. but simultaneously like these are things that like i have seen like as a person right so it wasn't a question right, of like right. whether, you know, these stories were valid, right? Or whether these stories had emotional weight or whether these were stories that could make one mm-hmm. laugh or feel It was just a question of putting them on the page and whether, you know, they mm-hmm. would be taken into the larger sort of literary conversation, right? Which feels like two completely different mm-hmm. conversations that I have to take from writing, you know, the thing mm-hmm. that you're trying to write and I wouldn't have been able to write Memorial and certainly would not have been able to publish it without the work of other queer authors, right? Like who Mm -hmm. have kicked the stone forward, so to speak, and wrote themselves into existence in such a way that the folks who followed them were able to expand on those narratives so that the folks who followed them could expand on those Mm -hmm. narratives and ideally you know that'll just keep happening you know like i didn't have a comp for memorial but now memorial is a comp right so someone who that's
2: the huge
0: and amazing thing like it's so i I see so many of my friends struggle with this and get marginalized and you know sort of like yeah what is the other thing out there who's gonna buy this and you almost have to justify yourself i'm like well it's gonna be a goddamn great book justification boom and um and they get put into a niche well this kind of book i'm like but here's the thing like it's it's a it's a great book and it was always going to be that because you're the writer who, who you are. And I, you know, I tend to think you don't have to like be able to relate, you know, an exact experience to a character to be able to, you know, in, enjoy a narrative. Uh, if, if, you know, the writing is there and it's, you know, you've, you really have just, you know, smoothed this path for more and more people and, and have more of these stories that just, deserve and need to be told
1: i mean yeah. this is it's like a it's a strange no pressure. it never feels like that when you're <laughs> yeah it never feels like that when you're right. doing it right it doesn't like weirdly like it doesn't feel like very much pressure because like I, I mean like for me again like if like my you know nine friends had read this book <laughs> and they were into it then i would have been happy right like they read very early copies like back in january and they were into it and like i was happy so everything else that has happened since then as far as i like, seeing the book travel and you know seeing the places that it's gone is warm and it's lovely but really trying to come back to you know what interests you i think is so important and what's really fascinating to me you know it was fascinating for a lot and it's been especially fascinating for this book is that the way in which the narrative that features <laughs> Characters from marginalized communities can, you know, Mm -hmm. on the front end be seen as, you know, niche or perhaps only appealing to folks that immediately belong to those communities. Because, you know, Memorial is, you know, a romance between two queer guys. One is Japanese American, one is Black, one is pause one is not. It takes place over a couple of different countries. And there really isn't like a clear cut thing to learn. From it, right? Like it isn't a terribly decisive narrative, and yet like I have heard from so many different people and all sorts of people that they saw something in it that reminded them of their own lives, or it reminded them of someone that they knew, or reminded them of their relationship, or it made them think about home, or it made them think about family. So like this idea that every narrative has to be relatable to like this mythical like white reader living in Oklahoma that buys one book a year it just feels really false because people <laughs> want to read a good story <laughs> yeah yeah you know like, people want to read a good story like in, in the capacity that you know they can find it right? like it's 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 just been very interesting to to see that and to you know to to get
0: to think about. That. I mean, I'm a s- cis straight white lady in her late 40s, and uh, I found so much in there of like, I know these people. Like, I, you know, the the main characters Ben and Mike. Like, I thought like I know them. Like, sort of like slacker gay dudes, <laughs> kind of messy, yeah. who you know, sort of making ill advised hookups. <laughs> And, uh, you're trying to figure it out. I'm like, I've known these men for decades and <laughs> watched them find a home, find each other, make some bad, you know, mess up mistakes, and solve things with fucking and food. And I'm like, I know, you know, and you know, and it just, it made me feel, uh I don't know, there. It, it, it creates these really intimate spaces in this apartment that they share in this bar that Mike's uh, dad has and Mike's, um, you know, dad's home and and stuff. It just keeps, you know, inviting us into these, these particular spaces. And, you know, and I I, want to note also, like, as we're, you know, so so many of us are going through this uh, right now, there's a lot of, Dealing with parents uh, and, you know, whether it's their particular, you know, physical health and mortality, or if it's having to, you know, deal with with someone who maybe has caused you harm in a a particular way, or they're causing harm to themselves or something. I think in this, you know, pandemic and in this political um, landscape that we're living in, people have had to figure out how to talk to their parents, (laughs) like... In, in a different kind of way, there isn't the same kind of maybe safety that some people have grown up with and they've seen their parents become alienated through polit- from them via politics or, you know, so many of us have lost parents uh, during this. And I feel like a, some of those roles have gone out the window. And I, I have so many friends who are taking care of their parents right now. And I don't know if that's a factor of age, pandemic combination of of all of these things, but I think feel like it's laid bare. And like I think every parent in this is kind of a mess <laughs> in yeah. in a way that is real.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what was? I, I don't know. Like it. I think that there's a way of writing like a queer narrative where family is a component where you either have you know, the the star parents who are <laughs> deeply supportive from the outset would never think otherwise and, you know, would like body slam you if you even thought of having half of a thought that was ill of you know, their queer children or you right. have the parents or the family that is on the exact polar opposite end of that yeah. where their bigotry overrides everything else within their narrative. And at yeah. least in my particular, you know, experience that, you know, just among the very particular experiences of my friends, which are very singular, neither of those narratives feels true, right? Like mm-hmm. the overwhelming majority of the time, at least in my particular experience and among folks I know, it's somewhere in the middle, right? and where right. in the middle can you know vary really wildly but writing a narrative in which characters weren't sequestered in mm-hmm. the binaries and maybe more specifically a narrative in which the relationships that you know these queer sons had with mm-hmm. their fathers and their mothers isn't sequestered in the binaries was mm-hmm a narrative that i wanted to read you know and so the characters as fathers are able to grow in line with their sons okay sometimes (laughs) yeah yeah and you know the sons are allowed (laughs) yeah the sons are allowed to have the choice to Mm -hmm. grow closer to their fathers because i didn't ever want to position the narrative or the characters in a place where the reader wasn't aware that it was a choice that they were making to come closer to one another and to learn about one another and to see the needs of one another because it is an active thing that you have to do. But to write a story in which characters are actively doing it and where that journey isn't a straight line, where they do fuck up and make mistakes and hurt one another, and have the mm-hmm. opportunity to come back and try to comfort one another and to make it right and to try not to do it again. That was the sort of thing that I wanted to read.
2: Yeah, there's some
0: there's some pattern breaking that goes on in here. And it's really delicious to see, you know, people can evolve and and, and change and get past their discomfort and... Um, also accept the people who, you know, their blood family members have brought in as, you know, surrogate children (laughs) or surrogate parents. You know, it's such an an interesting and complicated uh, thing, the sort of like jealousies that, you know, that can happen in there. Like, what are you trying to do here? Was I not enough for you? But like, it's, it all works out, and there's a moment in which the, you know, a couple of the families fuse together, and because you know I'm looking, I'm you know reading it in this particular time frame, I'm thinking like, what must Thanksgiving look like with all these characters on oh the table?
1: Lord, yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, saying, yeah. I had to like re- re-read like bits of it like fairly recently when uh, there's a moment when you know the, the families come together, and I was just like, before oh, like what would, <laughs> you know, what like what is uh, what, what does that look like? But I don't know, the possibility of connection and the possibility of coming together and the choice of coming together outright. That just feels so important to me and feels like such a deliberate action to make, right? Like to make changes in your own life and in your own behavior so that you can comfort the folks around you. I don't know, it just seems like a very... Palpable, tangibly warm thing, you
0: know. And it feels so foreign right now. The notion of getting to be around the table uh, with with people um, and and having that that thing. I think absent ritual, you know, it's it, like this year. It's hard, you know. I'm you know going through mourning a parent without, you know, any of those rituals. I'm having to tell my friends who are in my pod that they've, you know, invited some people outside of it too. And it's too many people for my comfort. And I uh this is the first Thanksgiving that I will not have had. Um I'm just gonna have it with my husband where I haven't been around, you know, my collected and chosen uh family and stuff. And that's kind of a hard th- so it was almost felt like an indulgence when my brain went off into like what would this table <laughs> be like with people physically around it. And, but it also feels like a goal like and it's just like this sort of wonderful indulgence and if you would indulge me for a second further here if they did do this what would be on the table
1: oh what would would be on the table what's this feeling look like (laughs) i think that there would be odonabe on Mm -hmm. the table right like a meal
2: that was relatively
1: painless to put together but one where a good chunk of the pleasure was in the sharing of it and then the sharing of it from the same dish and the ability to reach across the table immediately and you know to spoon some of it into someone else's bowl, right or you know Mm -hmm. share like a look of glee when they perhaps like Taste something in the flavor palette that they hadn't before, or something that they weren't expected, but it was still giving them. Pleasure. Isn't that fun so, watching
0: somebody's face when they and somebody you care about, like watching their 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 face when they eat something that you like, and they're like there's a moment of like, are they gonna like it or not? When they do, it's so ah, it's a beautiful thing.
1: Oh yeah, it's a top five thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like really, it's really lovely. Like because yeah, no, no it's like it, like how I don't know how often like. Are there moments where we can tangibly give folks around us pleasure immediately and to see how it changes them in real time? Like, I don't know, it only feels like there are only so many things that you can share to warrant that. And it's it's a really lovely thing when, when it does occur.
0: I only ever dated a couple of guys who didn't care about food and I thought am I being petty here if I, if this really kind of bugs me and and then sort of at a period when I was single I was thinking like you know I was trying to come up with my non-negotiables and I there was one boyfriend who he's he's great we're still friends we were together a few years and uh I enjoyed Eating with him, even if everything else kind of sucked, like we, I really enjoyed eating with him and we actually broke up and then went and got lunch because we knew it was our last time. And <laughs> 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 then I sort of realized that was non-negotiable for me. I couldn't be with somebody who didn't like let, the, have their eyes roll back when they taste certain things and didn't, you know, have that. It did not have to be fancy food. It's just, they just had to care. Have you found like for yourself like that is... Like the importance of that in a relationship,
1: I think it's really important for me. I mean, like with my partner right now, like it is something that we mm-hmm. both share, and it's actually like a conversation that we've had before, right like is mm-hmm. that a non negotiable or is that something that's developed <laughs> over time? Is it like something that is like now a non negotiable and I think that a lot of it, like just thinking of past relationships that I've had is not even just the food of it so much of so much as like the care of it you know and you know the care taken within that particular moment it's certainly something that i found means a good deal to me even if i wasn't able to articulate it in like my earlier relationship
0: yeah yeah it's, I mean, there's an intimacy to to that, and like, yeah, there are a lot of sort of like morning after
1: omelets in, in this book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's important, right? Like to like, have this understanding that, like, okay, like, like this was, you know, the evening that we had. Now we're going to give each other comfort, like through like the shared thing, right? Like, I don't know, like the like the the sharing of it. It just, I don't know, it just feels really important to me, at least you
0: know yeah and and it really really is and i assume i okay, I saw you do a a video <laughs> demonstration uh with with uh with Jasmine Guillory, and uh i get this I oh my god yeah. i loved that. that was so charming it was really tra- i i had i had to uh dash at the end of it i was picking my dog up from the vet so <laughs> i missed the end of it but it was really charming i take it you can cook <laughs>
1: I I've been known to <laughs> cook in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like I, I just, I yeah, I just aspire to be like a like a, like a a home cook that can, you know, make make things that that like, give the folks I care about pleasure. That's like my <laughs> that that's like the goal for me.
0: Oh my gosh! I mean, I just I can't wait for more people to you know the the book is still like a tiny little baby. It's a little three week old baby, <laughs> and I know. I, oh my gosh! Uh, actually, I'm gonna if if you're cool, I'm gonna send you. Uh, Sarah Benincasa wrote an incredible, uh, uh piece about like. I, I know you've been through the book process before um, so, but it it's just a really thoughtful thing about managing your emotions at the time and
1: I'll, I'll send it to you oh my god yeah that would be really
2: helpful but, <laughs> we talked about the really postpartum
0: helpful. of the book and it's, it's really it's really intense uh, all those feelings around it and especially since you're deprived of being able to go on tour and all that kind of stuff um, but I just I can't wait for more people to read this I, I want the Netflix series or whatever prestige network you happen I want to deal with imagining who's going to be the culinary supervisor on it, and please have Janice Poon do the food styling on it.
1: Like, it's oh, really exciting to think think about.
0: Uh, oh, I want this for you, and I think it's. I mean, I really think it's going to happen. And and I just f- to folks listening to this, like you know, I know it's uh, you know it's mostly sort of an industry audience, and you know other people too. But if you are You know, especially somebody who works in a restaurant. And I know times are incredibly tough right now, and you're alienated from your usual circumstances and stuff. And if you want to get lost in a book that gives a damn about food in a really important way, this is a book for you. It's, you know, the character's a chef. It's, it's just, it's really, really special. And you're, you know, precise in your details about this and you know as well and I just think like that's you know that's an audience who needs to know more about this book and I have uh one last question for you which is oh of course. yeah on this uh you know this you talked about you're each making thanksgiving dishes and stuff what is the dish without which it is not thanksgiving for you
2: oh
1: wow <laughs> so for me Actually, it's dirt chicken.
0: Really? Yeah, that that
1: is, yeah, that's like my cardinal Thanksgiving dish because I grew up in a very white neighborhood, but like the street that I grew up in on, and you know, the street immediately beside it was like deeply diverse, right? So, like, our neighbors were Japanese, they were Mexican and Mexican American, they were iranian they were filipino they were from like so many different places and when we would come together for thanksgiving there would be like the obligatory turkey mm-hmm. no one wants turkey somebody's house <laughs> and 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 that's the exact thing right like the, <laughs> Regardless of like <laughs> whose home it was in, the turkey would be like center stage on the table with everyone sitting around it. And it would largely be like untouched because on the counter beside it, there would be pancit, there would be kimchi fried rice, <sighs> there would be these roast, this most like, delicious roasted meats there would be so many different offerings that folks had brought that were dear to them. And that really felt like the spirit of the thing, like the spirit of the holiday. Mm -hmm. And my mom would always make jerk chicken and she would make the seasoning by hand. She would marinate it for however long. Mm -hmm. And it was just something that really felt pivotal and feels pivotal to the holiday for me so really trying to be conscientious now that I'm like silent to myself for this particular (laughs) Thanksgiving in in some capacities about trying to take that care with you know this particular dish as I find a way yeah to you know offer it to my friends and you know folks that you know we care for one another it feels really important like now as ever
0: yeah brian i hope you get to have that and get to share that and then i hope that you get the best feast <laughs> i mean and and i hope you end up with a gazillion dishes at your door and really get to enjoy that and I, you know and folks listening to this go to your independent bookseller in <laughs> your local uh indie work.
1: Oh, please. Oh. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Please <laughs> be bound. Like we're going to, you know, we always, we have to put the Amazon link in, in this because you know, this is just what we have to do but also i'm saying to you in my own words here <laughs> go to IndieBound and figure figure out what your local bookseller is where you can go and get this uh get this book set up a book club with 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 folks and uh book brian on your you know to, to your zoom or you know how however these things are uh happening right now for tours and stuff because like again like this this book really it made my light my life brighter in this moment of darkness and i just can't wait to see that you know flickering ac- across the land even more you've done something really beautiful and special and i'm so grateful for your time i am thankful
1: for you thank you so much Pat. I, I just so appreciate it
0: thank you so much to our guest today brian washington and please by memorial um indie bookstores are really great. Maybe consider doing that. They need a lot of your help right now. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's really, really hard to have a book come out at such a strange time. But Brian's book makes the world better. And uh, give it to everyone you know for the holidays. It's just so great. And and follow more of his writing. Read his previous book a lot. Look up all of his work in uh, The New Yorker and in the January issue of Food and Wine. You're going to be able to read a beautiful piece by Brian about oxtails and the beauty thereof. Uh, well, my neighbors have to start it. <laughs> My neighbors have decided to uh, start their construction again, so it is time to wrap up. I want to thank our producer, Antara Senna, for just... Being full-on awesome, trying to convince her to come on for an episode soon uh, to talk about the fantastic feature that she has written about uh, soppable foods. Uh, she's got the cover of the January issue, and uh, it's, it's such an exciting milestone uh, for anyone, especially on staff. If you've listened to the previous episode where David McCann um, is, is the cover boy for November um it's, it's a really, really special feeling and I'm so thrilled for Antara. And you know what? This is part of Food and Wine Pro, this podcast is, and that is the part of the website this podcast the magazine and someday when we can do in-person events it is part of that as well and it's where we're really focusing on uh, people in the industry the people who get food to you uh, whether they're their chefs their restaurant owners their farmers their front of house folks it is all of those people who are really frankly struggling right now, and uh, we focus on them in Food & Wine Pro and help tell their stories, and you can get there by going to foodandwine.com slash fwpro, and you can also sign up for the pro newsletter that is written by our editor-in-chief, Hunter Lewis, who has started a fantastic new interview column called Best Practices. And it's all about how people are reinventing during this time and figuring out ways to really you know, lean into what they, they do well and change their business model so they can keep afloat during these incredibly difficult times, there is a link on the Food, One Pro page to sign up for that newsletter. It arrives in your inbox on Fridays and we gather the most relevant news of the week along with the uh, links from our incredible uh, Associate Restaurant Editor, Osepa Burr, who really just does a fantastic job every week of getting together the news you need to know. And also Kelsey Youngman, who you heard on a previous podcast. She is also a certified meditation instructor, and we share with you the mantra that she has brought to the table at our Monday morning meetings, um, and it's just a really great way to set the tone for the week and give yourself something to focus on, and uh, thanks to the Food & One team in general and to Sarah Crowder for always getting the images together for this. I'm so lucky, incredibly lucky, to work with a really great team of human beings who uh, help us do this podcast and get through every dang day. Uh, it's, it's getting through the days right now, isn't it? Um, it's not always the easiest thing to do, but we are trying. Um, part of what gets me through is having these conversations, making this podcast, and they will keep letting me do it if, it, uh, you know, if people listen to it. And you can really help out with that by sharing it with someone you care about, uh, to going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leaving those stars and those reviews that helps us uh, float up the, to the top and helps more people hear us. And it lets us keep doing this uh, podcast. And if there's somebody who you think I ought to be talking with, I'm pretty easy to find. I am kinsman at foodandwine.com or I am on Twitter at kitten with a whip and I am pretty easy to find and I want to hear what you care about. You know what I care about? I care about you taking care of yourself. Until the next time.